Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this episode, some news about the recent Patch Tuesday Windows updates slowing down and causing issues for VPN connections. I'll also be covering some of the news coming out of Microsoft Build that was held this week. And various reports that certain HP printers have been completely bricked by a recent firmware update. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my sponsors. That includes ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management from the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. First up this week, Microsoft is reportedly investigating major speed issues affecting L2, TP, and IPsec VPN connections after installing recent Windows 11 updates. Users have reported extremely slow performance and RDP session attempts basically just timing out. The issues were first caused by the optional update KB5025305, which was released in April this year, and this was a non-security update. The optional update was then rolled up into the mandatory KB5026372 cumulative update, which was released during this month's Patch Tuesday. In the patch mail group, which I've recommended everyone join various times on this very podcast, well, a member confirmed that removing this update fixed their issue with VPN slowness. BleepyComputer.com reports Microsoft is aware of the issue and are investigating. It has also been reported that KB5025305 also triggers SSD slowdown issues affecting write speeds, according to some user reports while others are encountering stuttering and performance problems when playing video games. And that is that optional update from April. So you may not have installed that. If you're using Windows 11 on your personal machine, you may not take the optional update. So maybe you haven't experienced it. Uh, But yeah, if you're experiencing that, it could be caused by that optional update. Hopefully Microsoft release a fix sooner rather than later. Thanks to Peter Bull for his comprehensive coverage of Microsoft Build during the week. And as I reported in the headlines for this episode, Microsoft's Build conference was held this week, which of course is their developer-focused conference. And Peter covered various different announcements that were made by Microsoft during the event. And to be honest, reading the review, because I was away this week traveling, I didn't actually get to watch any of them myself, but just reading the view, it seems like much like with Ignite and different Microsoft events in the past, for anyone who pays attention to announcements or previews shared in their Microsoft Mechanics video series or via the podcast or even in tech community articles that Microsoft themselves publish, most announcements that were made during Build were things that were already publicly disclosed previously through these various different mediums. So not a whole huge amount 
of new exciting features, I would say, or announcements, but more uh, Microsoft spinning a narrative about the advancement of AI and how that can integrate within development processes and tooling uh, for Microsoft or Windows developers. So yeah, not surprisingly, the big focus of day one was Microsoft's AI play. And frankly, it reads like day two featured a lot of AI play as well. And they went through like how ChatGPT is integrated with their developer platforms. Uh, they went through Bing Chat, GitHub Copilot, Azure OpenAI service, etc. All things that I've previously covered on the podcast before. Uh, they also went through Azure AI Studios, which is a tool chain to build AI apps and co-pilots and build your own models or ground them with your own data, which I thought was an interesting spin. So it's not just about ingesting this really powerful AI tool into your uh, product and feeding information from it, uh, but actually developing in a way to ground or maybe neutralize some of the data that the chat GPT service returns because not all of it is sanitized and accurate. So that was an interesting point, I thought. And uh, much like chat GPT natively itself, well, there was talk about various different third party plugins during build. So chat GPT has had various different third party plugins. There was a rush of different uh, products, owners and vendors uh, producing their own plugins. And it seemed like there was also a play for various different third-party plugins within the Microsoft ecosystem that will be supporting their new AI initiatives. And I believe uh, Peter stated that they showed off a Spotify plugin as an example. During the event, they also showed off Fabric, which is a data analytics platform for the era of AI with unified compute and storage and with a unified experience, governance, and business models. And Peter states that this unification will fuel the next generation of AI. And I believe I saw that Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, championed this as the most significant data development for Microsoft in years, perhaps even since SQL or SQL, depending on how you like it pronounced. Uh, there were also some extensions and connectors announced for Microsoft Graph. And it was nice to see that Graph specifically got its own little space carved out in time. And there was various different announcements and discussions about that. Uh, they announced extensions to Windows Terminal are being developed to be able to use the chat with GitHub Copilot and is also in WinDebug where you could type in natural language requests for things to do there powered by AI. That'd be kind of interesting from a troubleshooting perspective. Like, hey, I want to uh, get a memory dump or something like that and you actually just tell a service to do that for you rather than having to go into a process, find it yourself and create the memory dump. That might be kind of cool or even just running windy bug on a certain process. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, there are also some enhancements announced for Winget, various different new configurations, which I believe I also covered on a different episode of the podcast. There's some new improvements to different Xbox dev kits. Doesn't really have an enterprise play. Uh, there was Azure DevOps support announcements and more. Uh, it's kind of a weird one. Usually Build does have some kind of enterprise-focused announcements, like, for example, MSIX was covered at a previous event in the past. So I do kind of try to cherry-pick some of the enterprise IT-related ones rather than just purely focusing on the developer side of things because this is kind of an enterprise IT podcast. 
but they also went through things for uh, .NET Framework version 8, both backend and frontend and other developer-focused stories. But I suggest you check out Peter's extensive review for yourself if you were like me and you did not get to attend any of the sessions. Also discussed during build and shared in separate posts from the relevant teams, but Windows 365 Boot is now available in public preview. They say with Windows 365 Boot, you can configure your Windows 11 PCs to boot directly into a Windows 365 Cloud PC. This is in preview, so test as you please, and hopefully it will be generally available sooner rather than later. Though it feels like it's getting to the point of preview has taken some time, in my opinion. I covered this feature on the podcast a few months ago after it was first publicly disclosed by Microsoft. There are also some other Windows 11 specific enhancements that have been announced, including a Bluetooth low energy audio for Windows 11 version 22H2 that brings high quality audio at low power for calls, videos, and music on compatible devices, including in wireless earbuds. Also included in the upcoming update for Windows 11 version 22H2 is Glanceable VPN, which they say is a great addition into Windows 11, where a user can quickly determine whether their VPN is connected by observing if the VPN badge on the networking icon in the system tray is on or off. So I guess if you use like Android or uh, iOS and you see the little VPN logo on your screen to indicate that the VPN is on, well, something similar will be coming to the system tray in Windows 11. So not a huge announcement, but I mean, it's still uh, welcome. Uh, also announced was organizational messages being generally available as of May 31st. So just a few days out. That would be very interesting because there are several vendors who are uh, including their own third party messaging solutions for Microsoft for Windows desktops and well, different desktops as well, but for gathering stuff like user sentiment and sending notifications to users. So if you're able to do that, maybe directly out of Intune, that could be very interesting. And it sounds like soon we'll be able to. Microsoft also took the opportunity to re-announce other new features, such as enabling Windows features in Windows Auto Patch, and that feature is now in preview. And the initial driver and firmware update management will be generally available soon by the sounds of things. Again, a lot of these uh, features and announcements are not new to those who have been listening to the podcast. I've covered these over the last several weeks, but I guess they were kind of announced to uh, a developer audience at this event. But for these announcements and more related to 365 and Intune, I'll share a link with this episode that you can check out for yourself. And that'll be at 5bytespodcast.com under episode 283. Nikkei.com reported on a merger between Rico and Toshiba's office equipment manufacturing divisions into a new company. This is off the back of a shift in work styles with more people working remotely, plus a greater push toward going paperless in organizations, meaning less demand for printers, copy machines, and some other office equipment. Rico and Toshiba Tech, which is the Toshiba division related to office equipment, uh, will own 85% and 15% respectively of the joint venture that will be formed in 2024. So the way I read that is Rico will be 85% and that Toshiba division will have 15%. The articles about the takeover and the announcement itself mentioned sales figures and all kinds of stats, 
but I didn't see any announcement on what this means for existing products and their ongoing support. I assume the new entity will continue to support existing products, and it reads like they're going to be merging uh, various different parts of each company's team into this new company. So I assume that means in 2024, there may be layoffs for different departments in those various companies. A new preview version of WinGet was released that now includes the previously alluded to WinGet configuration feature, which I discussed briefly or mentioned briefly in the Microsoft build announcements. Uh, but this feature automatically handles the setup and configuration requirements for an ideal development environment on your Windows machine. WinGet configuration file helps with installing and managing software packages, applications, programming languages, frameworks, tools, or settings necessary for a project. So it sounds kind of similar to some of the features that you could get in Linux for development today. A pre-release version of the Microsoft.WinGet.Client.PowerShell module has also been published to the PowerShell gallery and will no longer be included as a release asset. So if you want to install the latest version of the PowerShell module, you need to run the following command in PowerShell 7 and up, and that is install dash module space dash name and Microsoft.WinGet.Client. So if you want to use that PowerShell module, Microsoft.Winget.Client. BleepyComputer.com reported that HP is working to address a bad firmware update that has been bricking HP Office jet printers worldwide since it was released earlier this month. Affected customers report that the devices display blue screens with a H3C0000B error on the built-in touchscreen. Impacted printers include HP OfficeJet 902X models, including HP OfficeJet Pro 9022E, 9025E, 9020E All-in-One, 902E All-in-One printers too. That's hard to say in a row. BBcomputer.com has reported that HP is addressing the blue screen errors seen by what HP is claiming a limited number of users and HP are recommending customers experiencing the error to contact their customer support team for assistance. Now, bleepycomputer.com also reported that multiple people are reporting on forms that their printers have been completely bricked, some printing many pages of error reports, some complete blue screens and no way to recover, with at least one person saying they contacted HP support and were told they couldn't help and that they were recommending they get the printer picked up and taken to a HP service center. So it sounds like these ones that are completely bricked need to go to the service center and possibly, I don't know what the fix is going to be, completely replace them or replace components and have them like boot with firmware that's not this version that's completely bricking the machines. It would be pretty interesting. And I mean, this could be pretty costly for HP. It would be interesting to see how this plays out if there's any further updates. Security firm Checkpoint have stated cyber criminals are starting to target Microsoft's VS Code Marketplace, uploading three malicious Visual Studio extensions that Windows developers downloaded 46,600 times. According to BleepyComputer.com, Checkpoint reported these to Microsoft and have claimed the malware enabled the threat actors to steal credentials, system information, and establish a remote shell on the victim's machines. 
The extensions were discovered and reported on May 4th of this year, and they were subsequently removed from the VS Code marketplace on May 14th, so within 10 days. However, any software developer still using the malicious extensions must manually remove them from their systems and run a complete scan to detect any remnants of the infection. For a list of some of the affected extensions, I'll share a link with this episode, which again is episode 283, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com. Stefan Beckman published a blog post detailing an issue encountered in AVD recently. That's Azure Virtual Desktop, which I think everyone knows by now. But in the last few days, they had an issue at a customer where session hosts were showing as available. Sessions were on those hosts, but no users could connect to them anymore. So they were available first, users could log in, then after some time, the sessions were disconnected, but sessions were still appearing present. Logging off users like connecting via RDP was not possible, according to Stefan and the customer had session hosts in different regions. After some time, the customer found out together with Microsoft support that the version of the SXS stack listener, which I believe is side-by-side stack listener, was faulty. Microsoft now wants the customer to roll back the version RDP-SXS 23030740 in the background. He also provided a script to check for this SXS stack version in all host pools to show what versions of the agent are on those hosts. And I suspect this has probably been fixed by Microsoft by the time you hear this, as they make updates available pretty regularly, it seems. I might be wrong though. So it might not be fixed, so you might want to check. Thanks to Jose on Twitter for this next one. And he goes by Shenardi on Twitter. That's the handle, so it's S C H E N. A-R-D-I-E, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, But he said that he noticed that Microsoft changed the ACLs for Intune Management Extension keys, that's registry keys, so standard users can't even read them anymore. So that'd be keys and values, presumably. And based on the replies to his tweet, it seems some are not a fan of this change. But personally, I think it's a good idea. Uh, If you do need to troubleshoot, you can still view and get into the registry with administrator credentials. Just elevate uh, regedit and you should be able to see them. It's probably a good idea to just kind of mask that and probably other different types of settings. The users really have no need to read. Just kind of my opinion. Louis Quintilla recently published a blog post on Microsoft's dev blog, giving an explanation of ChatGPT and a few getting started tips for those developing with .NET on how they can build their own chat solutions with .NET and ChatGPT. I believe the post was actually published last week, so it was before Microsoft build, so it's not necessarily associated to that. But given the big play on AI, it also seems pretty topical and it might be one that interests you. And finally, in a somewhat related story, speaking of ChatGPT, OpenAI have officially launched an iOS app, but the kicker for now is that it is only available in the United States. So if you've got an iPhone and your store is located or region set to the US, you should be able to avail of this official OpenAI ChatGPT app for iOS. And this announcement is particularly noteworthy from my perspective as From a enterprise security perspective, there has been many imposter apps fronting the ChatGPT service over the last few weeks, which could steal sensitive information if inputted into that app. 
I think the announcement of an official app is kind of a double-edged sword. It is good because it is a genuine source, so it should hopefully prevent users from maybe going to an unofficial source and installing something that may have nefarious purposes. Well, <laughs> you could also argue there's been arguments about OpenAI and, and what they're doing with any information that's being inputted in there as well. But anyway, it is bad, in my opinion, that this app has launched because the news of this app being available would probably get a lot of people interested and they're likely not going to look into who the uh, manufacturer or publisher of the app is. So they'll finally go and look for a ChatGPT app and probably try to download an imposter app instead. So <laughs> it may actually lead to an increase of uh, installations of imposter apps. Hopefully that's an incorrect assumption, but that's kind of what I guess. And I don't know about the imposter apps, if they're officially published in the store or not, or if they're just available via links in Google ads, which is where I see them quite a bit. Uh, but yeah, hopefully this will be the one true app in the store. Uh, but I guess we'll see. I can't check because I'm not in the US and it doesn't show up in my region. And now this episode's scripts, tricks and tips. Thanks to Helga Klein, who I think once again had mentioned the Nearsoft Advanced Run Tool. Uh, this time for filling in the need to run installers in certain contexts, like if you want to test running an installer uh, manually through this tool, you can set it to run in the context of like trusted installer, uh, system, uh, run as a user with UAC and so forth. So it could be very useful for application testing. Also this week, I saw Dr. Kulud Almani shared a really great infographic showing the different type of cybersecurity attacks, such as phishing attacks, spyware and keyloggers, uh, denial of service, and more. This could be useful when reviewing the list of Windows updates each month, as if you've listened to the podcast, I cover what types of vulnerabilities and how many of each category have been patched with the Windows updates. So if you're wondering what type of cybersecurity threats and attacks are out there, uh, this infographic could help serve that purpose. And finally, I listened to a really great episode of the Run As Radio podcast this week with guest Jen Sheeran talking about Azure Virtual Desktop. It has inspired me to go back and just kind of wipe my Azure Virtual Desktop instance and try again with some of the more current uh, tooling that sounds like it's going to greatly streamline the setup. And I know Jen was talking a lot about um, automation and in particular with Terraform. And I just came back from the, the Bellux CUGC that was held in Ghent in Belgium this week, uh, where two of the sessions were covering infrastructure as code. So there was a lot of mention of things like Terraform, uh, Packer, Bicep, ARM templates, and so forth. And I posted some stuff that I've done around ARM templates and some automation and stuff like that in the past. Uh, but this has kind of piqued my interest to go back to refine how I'm doing things. In particular, uh, when I was at the event, I saw maybe I should try Ansible for doing some of the application installs into my image because I found uh, the... ARM, uh, Terraform, and Packer a little bit lacking when it came to the syntax for handling uh, running of applications kind of sequentially as part of the process. Uh, but Jen was talking specifically about Azure Virtual Desktop, and there sounds like there's really good resources out there for streamlining your setup process. So I'm really interested to check it out. You might be too. 
And I suggest you start by listening to that episode of the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.